Is the church today doing everything it can to provide women a firm foundation of truth in Christ Jesus? Well, it's true there's no shortage of candy-coated Bible studies, potluck fellowships available to ladies. But beyond Sunday morning, are Christian women being properly equipped to stand against the same deceptions that even enticed Eve in the garden? In an attempt to address the need for trustworthy, biblical resources for women, No Compromise Radio is happy to introduce Equipping Eve, a ladies-only radio show that seeks to equip women with fruits of truth in an age that's ripe with deception. My name is Mike Abendroth, and I'm pleased to introduce your host, Aaron Benzinger, a friend of No Compromise Radio and a woman who wants to see other women equipped with a love for and a knowledge of the truth of God's Word. Well, hello, ladies, and welcome to Equipping Eve, the show that seeks to equip you with fruits of truth from God's Word. God's Word, 66 books of the Bible. Okay, before I continue, uh, just a warning. There might be a cat meowing in the background throughout the course of this episode. That is producer Charlie. My apologies for the unprofessionalism, but he's here in my office, and he is demanding something. And he's not like a dog that understands no. So if you hear a meow, that is Charlie giving his input. So anyway, 66 books of the Bible, right? 66. If your Bible has more, it's wrong. If your Bible has less, it's wrong. So why do we say that? Well, uh, that's not actually the topic of this show, but we have discussed the Bible and the canon of scripture in the past. So I encourage you to go back in the Equipping Eve archives and take a look, find that episode if you'd like to hear a little bit more about that. I know that we've discussed that here and I'm sure we'll discuss it here again because we love God's word. We love God's word, not because we worship a book. That's ridiculous, but we love God's word because it's God's word. Right? He inspired the human authors and they wrote down what God would have them write down. That is what God would have us to know. In the Bible, God reveals himself to sinful men. In the Bible, God reveals Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, God incarnate, the only way of salvation. So why would we not love and uphold scripture? It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. These people who say, oh, you're worshiping the Bible. They do not have a high view of scripture because they do not have a high view of scripture's author, the Lord God Almighty. So that's all I have to say about that. Actually, no, it's not. We're going to talk about the Bible and people attacking it in just a minute. We have kind of a hodgepodge of topics today that I'm planning on talking about. Uh, But we'll see how time goes. It might not end up being a hodgepodge. It might be one thing. We all know how that goes. Okay, so before we get started, though, I keep forgetting that I have this. It sits on my desk. So it's this little box of blessings. I know we've we've read some of these in the past. And it's God's, oh no, it's promises from God for women. Just for us ladies. Let's see. And what I love about this little box of blessings is that I bought it for myself. And that's why I find them so hilarious. Uh, they're scripture out of context. They're little, you know, feel good, pick me ups, um, nonsense. So here we go. Here's one from the middle of the stack. I'm so thankful that we are friends. Keep in mind, I gave this to myself. And then the back of the card says Psalm 11829. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. 
I don't know how that's connected. But we should give thanks to the Lord. He is good. His love does endure forever. Oh, here's a quote from John Calvin. I didn't know this was a Calvinist box of blessings. That's fantastic. I love it even more. Hey, John Calvin, there's not one blade of grass. There is no color in this world that is not intended to make us rejoice. And then the back is Psalm 100, verse 5. The Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. So that one, that's not too bad because I do like that John Calvin quote. Anyway, uh, I guess they're not all horrible, but they're not all great anyway. Oh, here's here's one. Here's an example of why it's ridiculous. This box of blessings says, Life is not measured by the number of breaths we take, but by the moments that take our breath away. Isn't there an 80s song? Maybe it's from the 90s. Take my breath away. I would sing it, but you'd stop listening. And then Proverbs 3, 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. God's best is always worth the wait. These are special. Okay. Well, we'll cling to the one Calvin quote uh, and, and say that, you know, someone in the compilation of these had a brief moment of sense. Anyway, box of blessing, promises from God for women. So guys, you shouldn't be listening because this is a show for women. We seek to be true to scripture's command that women should not teach men. Um, but, you know, ladies, you can't share these promises from God with your husband or your brother or your father because they're just for women, according to this box. 101 blessings to brighten your day and uplift your soul. So I hope that I've brightened your day and uplifted your soul by reading you those little cards. Okay. So we were talking about, that was a completely awkward segue because it doesn't segue at all. Sorry about that. So we were talking briefly about the canon of scripture and the 66 books of the Bible. And this was actually not at all what I planned to talk about, but I feel like I say that every time I record a show something happens. I have another article that I want to look at very briefly and it ends up being the whole show. So Rob Bell, there's another country I heard from, right? We haven't necessarily heard his name in a while. I'm sure all of you, or at least most of you are familiar with Rob Bell. Uh, he is one of the forerunners of the emergent church, a loud postmodern. He's Weird. Uh, I, I don't mean that as a personal attack, so my apologies, Mr. Bell. It just his his style of writing is very awkward, um, and his, his speaking style is the same way. And, and I say that in the sense I, I I think it's actually quite clever. Perhaps awkward is the wrong word. It's actually quite clever because his unique style, I think, draws you in depending on how strongly you are rooted in your faith and in scripture and in the word of God. So I've actually had occasion to hear Rob Bell speak twice uh, over the years. The first time was not in person, but was actually via video uh, years ago before I was saved. I was interning at my church. Let that one sink in. I thought I was saved. Uh, so I had graduated from college. I had my degree in religious studies. I was this fantastic Christian. And I was interning with the youth at my church. And they went on a retreat and uh, down in Nashville, I think. Yeah. Uh, it was the Church of God. Listen, I didn't know anything about anything, so I'm just thankful God saved me. Anyway, 
So we're down there, and there's this big conference for youth. Rob Bell spoke via video, but it was like one of his pre-recorded study video things. So it's not like he recorded it specifically for this event, if I remember correctly. But I remember sitting there as as a person in my early 20s and who was not actually saved and thinking, this guy's strange. The way he talks is uh, not something that I gravitate to. However, again, he's somehow compelling. And so um, he certainly uses that to his advantage. So kudos to him for recognizing that and being able to use it. Unfortunately, um, the message is so distorted and twisted that it is uh, a dangerous thing. And then the second time that I heard Bell speak was in person. It was actually back in 2011, and he came to the Chicago area where I was living at the time. And, of course, who's going to pass up the opportunity to hear Rob Bell speak live? And uh, there's actually, um, I wrote a little a little write-up of that on my blog, uh, do not be surprised.com. So if you look back in 2011, April 2011, it's called A Conversation with Rob Bell, and it just kind of recaps that experience and uh, what Bell spoke about. So uh, what was interesting, it was actually held at a church, uh, which was very interesting, and the audience was fascinating. I had a priest and I think some priests in training sitting in front of me. Uh, I don't recall if there was a nun there or not. Um, but anyway, he was introduced by the female pastor of the church, and when Bell stood up to speak, you kind of expected he had something prepared, you know, his little speech, and we were all going to hear that. And actually what he did is he just opened it up and said, who has a question? And really opened up the floor, uh, which I don't know that anybody expected. I didn't expect that. And again, it just goes back to his speaking style, his way of connecting with people. It is different and people embrace that. Um, I think he's a very approachable person. And even though he has a unique style about him, again, if you are not rooted in scripture and not seeing red flags raised by everything that he says, you will be intrigued by by his style. And, um, and he can very easily draw you in as just a nice guy who just, you know, wants to talk about things, wants to look about look at things, you know, in a way that just makes everybody feel warm and fuzzy. And so um, those are my experiences hearing Rob Bell. And so I, I see how he can be used to deceive. I see in his personality, I see in his writing style, I see in his speaking style, how that can be used and that can be dangerous. And it looks like it continues. So anyway, Rob Bell has re-emerged, if you'll pardon the pun. Uh, so there's an article dated June 13th, 2017, written by Jonathan Merritt, over at Religion News Service, and it's called Rob Bell Once Questioned Hell, Here's Why He Is Now Taking Aim at the Bible. So first of all, there's a problem with the headline, right? Rob Bell Once Questioned Hell, Here's Why He's Now Taking Aim at the Bible. Well, when he questioned hell, he took aim at the Bible, because that's how we know about hell, that's where God revealed it to us. Rob Bell has always taken aim at the Bible. That's his M.O., isn't it? So... 
anyway, poor, poorly executed headline, if you ask me. So, uh, in his 2011 book, Love Wins, says the article, former Pastor Rob Bell famously questioned the existence of hell. The bold move made him a pariah among some conservative Christians, but further catapulted the book onto the New York Times bestseller list. Bell's name did not grace that list again for the next six years, despite publishing several books during that time. But his newest book, What is the Bible? How an Ancient Library of Poems, Letters, and Stories Can Transform the Way You Think and Feel About Everything, was an instant New York Times bestseller and is being widely read and reviewed. If you've not yet read it, this book is Rob Bell at his Rob Belliest, punchy, conversational, and riddled with provocative questions. I wonder if the book has as much white space as that last book did. Love wins. Yeah, love wins. Um, seriously, you open that book in the white space. Like, the, the literal white space was awkward. That was awkward. Okay. So here's an interview that Merritt did with Bell. And so he asks, what is the Bible in a sentence or in a short paragraph? And Rob Bell answers, it's this library of books that sit in the middle of culture with this presumed familiarity. What? What does that even mean? A library of books that sit in the middle of culture with presumed familiarity. I understand the presumed familiarity. What Christian, I don't even know if Rob Bell identifies himself as a Christian at this point anymore, but what Christian would call the Bible just a library of books that sits in the middle of culture? Wouldn't you say, uh, what is the Bible in a sentence or a short paragraph? The Bible is God's word. The Bible is God's revelation, God's written revelation to men. Something, you know, Orthodox. It's Rob Bell. I know. I expect nothing else. Rob Bell continues, I love how Dallas Willard, the mystic, I added that, said, familiarity breeds unfamiliarity and unfamiliarity breeds contempt. You have so many people with such strong opinions about the Bible, but when they talk about those opinions, you find yourself thinking, have they read it? Hey, I agree with that. At one level, there's this library sitting right under the culture's nose, but also it is such a better collection of books than anybody realizes. Collection of books. Yes, it is a compilation of these books written over the course of time, centuries, 1,500 so years. What, 40 plus authors? Yes, in a way, it's a collection of books, but at the same time, it is one book that God has given us because the continuity throughout scripture could only have been put there by God. I mean, that's the beauty of it, right? It was written over the course of so many years and by so many different men. And yet the message is consistent. The message is consistent because God wrote it. It had the same divine author. So it's not just this library, this better collection of books than anybody realizes. Okay, so Merritt says, I think a lot of Christians would agree with that. What are you saying that is new or provocative? What's interesting about what you mean when you say that? And Bell says, I begin with the Bible as a collection of human books. So I begin with its humanity. Who was writing this? What was the world like at this time? What were the economics and politics? Were there any new technologies, etc., etc.? In my observation, a lot of religious people begin with, this is Rob Bell speaking, this is God's holy book. Why did God write it down this way? Instead of, this is a human book. Huh. Okie doke. If you start there, he says, it has all this room for doubt and fear and anger. It opens its arms wide to the full spectrum of the human experience. And I think that's interesting. What? I mean, why, why would you start with it being a human book? Unless your view of God is so 
low. Yes, men physically wrote the Bible. You can see the different writing styles of the men throughout the scriptures. But every single human author was inspired by the same divine author, the Holy Spirit of God. What? What is happening? Christian, do not read this book. That is what I say to you. Rob Bell's book. Please read the Bible. Uh, Merit, many, many who begin with the Bible as a work of divinity say the Bible contains no contradictions because God can't contradict God's self. Do you agree with those beliefs? And Rob Bell says, I think those are the wrong discussions because I don't actually answer questions when I'm asked them. I'm inserting that. It's not that kind of book, he says. In the book, I talk about these two passages where uh, God says... So Rob Bell thinks those are the wrong discussions. So basically, he's avoiding the answer. He's obfuscating the answer. And, um, you know, let's not talk about that. Well, let's talk about it. Because the contradictions aren't there. You know, we go back to where we agree with Rob Bell when he says, you know, I hear people talk about the Bible and I think, have you read it? Well, yeah. Have you read it? I don't know. Anyway. Uh, here's a big question, says Merritt. Is the Bible inspired as many Christians believe? And Rob Bell, in true Rob Bell fashion, says, well, obviously we have a thousand different definitions of what inspired means. I don't, I can't. Can someone please send him the episode we did on the canon and the inspiration of scripture, please? I think these books are unique and inspired, and I think they attest to something at work in human history Drawing the whole thing forward into greater unity and depth, I think that's why these books have endured, is because they speak to the deepest questions of human existence. I just... Oh, and this is a good one. What about inerrancy? What do you say to people who believe the Bible is without error? Rob Bell. I just say I have a higher view of the Bible than that. What does that mean? I mean, do you see how he twists everything? He doesn't answer questions. He, I, I, I'm in awe of this man, his skills at completely avoiding a question or giving a completely nonsensical answer are hilarious. I know if you heard my cat in the background, he sounds like he's being squeezed or something. He's not. He's just sitting by the window crying. So he's fine. Producer Charlie, thanks for your thoughts. He doesn't like Rob Bell either. So anyway, um, yeah, Rob Bell. There you go. There you go. But that's one of the problems, isn't it? So, you know, he has a higher view of scripture than saying that it's inerrant. Fine. We have a million different definitions of inspired. Do we? I mean, just because different people define things differently, that's postmodernism at its finest, isn't it? You know, well, to me, inspired means X, but to you, inspired might mean Y. Well, that doesn't matter. What does inspired mean? What does inspired mean in the context of scripture? But this is postmodernism. At its best, this is what has become of this world in which we live. And actually, I did not plan on doing this, but I happen to think. I read a good article this week about the postmodern mindset. And it was actually written by a college student. So it appears in the Detroit News, and it's actually written by a college student named Kaylee McGee. And the title is, A Millennial Explains Why We Melt. And I thought this was actually a very well-written article. Um, I think she has a future in journalism, or editorials and opinion anyway, because this is, this is good. There's great observations on this. So 
McGee writes, as a college student living in the age of safe spaces, Bernie Sanders and obsessive tolerance, I don't think twice about the daily morning ritual that began when my peers decided offended was their new favorite word. I check my social media and say, good morning, America. What, what are we offended by today? But she's right, isn't she? Like, you wore blue socks. I am offended. Today's college campus culture is drenched in political correctness and controversy over so-called microaggressions, and that's because the millennial generation, my generation, brings with them to campus a hyper-privileged sense of entitlement and victimization. Those brave enough to take on the millennial speech police, her use of words here is fantastic, those brave enough to take on the millennial speech police are bombarded with insults and immediately accused of being racists and bigots, among many other of the left's favorite terms for those on the other side of the aisle. Millennials are in a constant contest to one-up each other in showing tolerance, and when anyone or anything stands in their way, they collapse into temper tantrums. And the truth is, none of us should be surprised. My generation, this is so observant, my generation is a symptom of the society past generations have built. Yep. One characterized by immediate gratification, the breakdown of a moral code, and the victim mentality. It's the wreckage of past generations' experiments with postmodern liberalism, and millennials are trying to wade through it. See, I don't want to read this whole thing to you necessarily, but um, she, she calls this the snowflakeification of a generation. She says, many fail to recognize that these millennial snowflakes avoid saying or doing anything that could be deemed offensive, largely because of how they were raised. Most grew up with parents who did everything they could to provide their children with happiness and emotional well-being at the expense of personal responsibility and self-reliance. Boy, that's the truth, isn't it? I mean, the parenting that we've seen over the course of the past a couple of decades, you know, you just be your child's friend, you know, no, be your child's parent. That is your duty. And ladies, that is your biblical duty as a mother, as your biblical duty to be a parent. When your child grows up and is an adult herself, himself, then you can be his or her friend. But when they are under your watch, you are to be a parent and raise them in the way of the Lord and teach them responsibility and discipline them when they misbehave, etc., etc. But she goes on, she says, when kids my age encountered coaches who didn't give them enough playing time, teachers who gave them a bad grade or bullies on the playground, their immediate response was to tell their parents. And it's true. And that's why we now have, um, you know, we can't keep score at ball games because someone might get offended and we can't um, everybody has to get an award in school for breathing because otherwise someone will be offended that Susie got the award for getting all of the answers right on her spelling test. And then do we even have right answers anymore? You know, I have friends who are teachers and it's just the hoops that they have to go through so that the parents don't report them to the administration just for giving a rightful bad grade on a paper. It's, it's phenomenal to me. It's just ridiculous. And so basically, you know, she's talking about this victim mentality that is pervasive among millennials. Uh, She says, um, this victim mentality has gotten so out of hand that a class at Purdue University taught that referring to America as a melting pot, along with questions like, where are you from, are microaggressions. What? I mean, I must be one of the most offensive people in the world because I just say things. So that's unhealthy and leads to a closed mind, she says. Absolutely. Millennials need to stop worshiping tolerance at the expense of vigorous discourse. It's okay to hear and ponder ideas and opinions that make you uncomfortable, but more importantly, make you think. 
And, um, yeah, she makes some great points here. So, you know, not exactly, um, not necessarily an article that's based around scripture. She was publishing it in the Detroit News after all. But there's some great insights. Gives me just a little tiny bit of hope for the next generation that there's someone out there recognizing the nonsense uh, that is this millennial generation. And what terrifies me is they will be the ones taking care of me in the nursing home someday. I'm afraid. Just pull the plug. Just pull the plug. Don't, don't. Just let me go. It'll be fine. Okay, so we've talked about Rob Bell and the Bible, and that was not my plan. And um, we've talked about millennials because it's that postmodern mindset, right? That mindset that says that what I believe about this may not be what you believe about this, but everybody is right. Everybody's right. Nobody can be wrong. And you know, at some point, somebody has to be wrong, don't they? At some point, someone's going to have to suck it up and be wrong. And it's just really kind of astonishing to me that we haven't figured that out yet. How can we get a right view of society so that we can effectively live in society? Well, this goes back. This goes back to the Bible. We can effectively live in society by studying the Bible. And ladies, we must study the Bible, not just read our little devotional nugget in the morning and not just leave the hard things, air quotes, to the men. You, if you are a parent, are raising the next generation. That means that you need to study the Bible. So you can bring them up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. That is your duty as a Christian parent. Producer Charlie has completely sacked out on the floor now. I think he's finally tired. Uh, there's an interesting article. I don't know if I've read this here before. I won't read the whole thing. I'm sorry. I, I don't mean to read so many articles, but I come across this stuff and it's good. It's by Amy Gannett, Sister, You Can Do Hard Things. Um, And basically, she talks about how um, she has heard so many women say, well, I I guess, you know, deep Bible study just isn't for me. I I do devotionals. Um, I don't have time to learn how to study the Bible. Do you just have a study? You know, don't we all love that? We much prefer to just have a Bible study. It's already prepackaged, and we can just go through and answer our questions. Have you ever really pondered that? I used to be in a Bible study that I would not recommend now. It's a, a large international Bible study without naming any names, and there are many problems, dangers in that study. And so if you are involved in this large international Bible study, there are groups for men and for women. It is led by a woman who teaches men, uh, then you should probably rethink your involvement in that. Uh, That's discussion for another day. But it was set up like so many Bible studies are. You get your little lesson and you go through your questions with the Bible passage and then you go to a discussion group and everybody answers the questions and everything's wonderful. And then you hear a little teaching, etc., etc. And by the way, the teachings are canned and... um, all the leaders are giving the same teaching all across the world. Anyway, moving on. 
but we all, we like that structure, don't we? We all, okay, I have to answer five questions today. Well, I don't know about you, but number one, I did that study, um, part of the time I was in that study, I wasn't saved and I had some of the best answers in the group, if you ask me, in my humble opinion. But I mean, I could answer all the questions with ease because it didn't require study. It required looking at the text and saying, oh, that's fill in the blank, basically. Um, you know, very little cross-referencing, um, very little challenge to application to your spiritual life. Unless you get to the application question. Now you have to apply it to your life. Application. How can you apply this to your life? That's not an application question. You know, and we like the structure. I'm going to do my five questions today. Well, I used to be able to sit down the night before the Bible study and run through every single question for the whole week in, I don't know, 15 minutes. And it was fine. I could go and participate in the discussion and be done. You know, it, it that's not deep study. And we want the structure and we want someone else to do the work for us, but we're not learning from that. You know, it, it would be interesting to go back and do a poll of some of these women who have been in the study for years and years and years, studied the same books over and over again. I don't think they'd be able to answer basic questions about the books that they've studied or basic questions about basic truths of doctrine and of scripture. I just don't think they would. It's not necessarily true of all of them, uh, but I think it's true of a majority. And there's a danger. I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with structured, pre-written Bible studies, but I don't think they're a requirement. There are other ways to study the Bible. And again, we've talked about that here at Equipping Eve. There are ways that you can just take your Bible, maybe a couple of commentaries, a good study Bible, trustworthy study Bible, and study the word on your own. You don't need to have someone else write questions for you. I'm not condemning that. I've, I've written some of those, but you don't need it. And, you know, uh, in this particular study I was in, I remember we would take the summer off and then there'd be women at the end of the summer. So, oh, I just can't wait for us to start up again because I've really been missing um, doing my Bible study. And I was like, you know, after I got saved, I was like, well, what'd you do all summer? Like, hey, God, I'm going to take a break because we're on summer break. What? No, no. No, but but they're so dependent on this little piece of paper they get every week that they call that Bible study. And that means it's not a true integrated part of their life. It's something they put in a box, pull out my piece of paper, answer my questions, put it back, I've done my Bible study. True Bible study, you are going through the word and then living out what you have learned, living out what you have read in scripture. And uh, Amy Gannett in this article, Sister, You Can Do Her Thing, she says a prepackaged Bible study is easier, but on its own, it cannot be your daily bread. Others can do the work to study and reframe the truths of God's word for you, but then you'll miss the riches and rewards that come from hard work and study of the word for yourself. I know there are a plethora of blogs and Instagram accounts that make the word of God seem like a quick pick-me-up and short fix. Yes, that would be easier, but sister, you can do hard things. It's easy in our Pinterest culture, she says, to conceive that biblical womanhood is solely about the cultivation of a trendy home and ways to find the quickest and cheapest slow cooker recipe. But when we only look around us for examples of biblical womanhood, we fail to look back 
back to the women of the Bible who did hard things and blazed a trail for us to follow. And then she gives some examples of Abigail, Huldah, Deborah, Esther, Mary. You know, she makes a good point. She says, we all need help. We all need others to teach us along the way, but each and every one of us can do it. God has graciously equipped us with sharp minds, teachable hearts, and the willpower to form our loves around his word. It might seem like a resolution that will fade in the coming weeks, but you and I can do the hard work of pressing through, pressing on, and persistently coming to God's word as his students. Now, I don't know anything about this author, but I appreciated this article and her point there. Um, and again, I'm not putting down pre-written Bible studies. I know some wonderful ladies who develop those and... Um, those are good resources for us to use. But again, it should not be our daily bread, right? Just sit down and read the Bible. Even if you don't pull out the commentaries, just sit down and read without, oh, I got to answer these questions now. Okay, I'm done. Maybe just sit down and read. And trust me, ladies, I speak to myself as much as I speak to you when I say that um, as an encouragement to not let life get in the way and cause us to lose our focus. But we can do hard things. We can do the hard study of scripture. And when we do, we see obvious error in things like what Rob Bell is saying about scripture. Well, it depends on how you define inspired. Yeah. Does it? Does it? Okay, ladies. Well, if you want to reach out and contact me, the best way to contact me is on Twitter. I have two Twitter handles, Equipping Eve or Eben's blog. So um, if you tweet me at either of those, I will see that before I'll see anything else. You can also email me, equippingeve at gmail.com, or you can go to equippingeve.org or .com and uh, contact me there. And um, be patient with me as I wait as I work on responding. Um, but reach out, send me questions, send me comments. You can even be angry with me. You can disagree with me. I'm okay with that. That's happened. Uh, if you go to the Facebook page, Equipping Eve, you can see there's a couple of people who disagreed with me along the way. And that's okay too. That's what we're here. Iron sharpens iron, right? That's why we're here. And that's why we do this. But at the end of the day, we must agree if we are Christians on one thing, Jesus Christ is Lord. His word is perfect. His word is inerrant. It is inspired. It is infallible. And in that word, Jesus Christ is revealed to us. And he is indeed the way, the truth, and the life, the only way of salvation. Can I get an amen? All right, ladies. Until next time, get in your Bibles, get on your knees, and get equipped. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Equipping Eve, a no-compromise radio production. If you'd like to get a hold of Erin, you can reach her at equippingeve at gmail.com, or you can check out one of her two websites, do not be surprised.com or equippingeve.org. Thanks for listening. 